Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Brother Wild Bill, and he is in a Panama prison serving 46 years for killing five people, five Americans in Panama. This guy, has got a story for you. Welcome to the show, Wild Bill. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. It's really a pleasure to be here. Well, I tell you, your story captivated me. I found you through Just Rimmel's Mysterious Circumstances podcast because I was like, hey, I want to interview this guy. He goes, just message him on Instagram. He's really active on that. And I did. And I like heard from you within like 20 minutes. And you said, let's do this. So <laughs> That's right. That's right. We invite everybody actually to come and interact with me. That's what I'm about. You know, I'm trying to show the whole world that anybody can change. Even a man like Wild Bill can change. And, and so you guys come and find me there on Instagram. I'm, I'm at Holiness Bill. And I'm sure that, that Leslie will be happy to put the links up there for you. So you guys that are listening, please feel free to come and interact with Wild Bill. Absolutely. And guys, we're doing this interview while he's in prison. So if it sounds a little different, you understand that, you know, we're talking through the internet and all the things. So I'm just going to go ahead and I'm, I want to ask though, Bill, what got you into this? What happened to get you landed in a Panama prison? You know, that's a mouthful, that story. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is that, you know, it's not one day to the next that you just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a contract killer. It's a long chain of terrible decisions that lead down into a deep hell, which is, you know, a life of crime. Yeah. What happened to me is I, I lived a, a really straight-laced life in my youth and everything. I, I, a lot of people say, well, you must have come from a bad home. I came from the best family, a really good, upstanding family. My grandfather's like a city council member, you know, and my father was a business owner. And I mean, and I was never abused as a child. People talk about violent criminals hurting animals and never had anything to do with anything like that. Right. So my situation was I lived this perfect life and I, and I went through a divorce. And when I went through a divorce, I lost custody of my children in, in that divorce in a, in a family court situation. And the judge in that family court situation did what everybody, including my ex-wife, thought was really unfair about the orders. And then when I didn't comply, because I was advised by, this is, you know, I'm not making excuses. First of all, I want to make sure that everybody understands. I'm not making any excuses. You ask a question, how did it happen? I'm giving you the turning point in my life. And and I made a terrible decision at this point, but I wanted to explain why. Anyway, the judge gave me a contempt of court order for 20 days in prison jail. And to go to jail or something from like that lifestyle, that squeaky clean lifestyle was to me like uh, like not thinkable. You know, I, was, I had a couple of businesses and I'd never been in any trouble my whole life. The easiest thing I can say is that I snapped and I told, I remember saying the words to my lawyer. My lawyer was a guy named Bill Gardo and I told him, I said, if, if the bastards want to see a criminal, I'm going to show them the best damn criminal there is. And I set out to do that. I, I felt stained by what happened and I made, you know, a terrible decision looking back on I it. Mean, horrible, stupid, childish, immature decision to, to lash out at, at something that I thought was unfair. And I think anybody in that situation, if, if they understood the situation, would have, would have agreed it was unfair. But the smart thing to do would have been to live with it and figure out what to do about it mm. and not just destroy yourself and everybody else in the, in the process. So I became uh, a criminal in the United States, and then I had to leave the United States as a fugitive and ended up in Costa Rica. Mm. So it, it's one step down. Now we're an international fugitive. You know, and I got a couple hundred thousand dollars with me, three hundred thousand dollars with me. And so from things from a criminal enterprise. And then I became a, a boat captain on a human trafficking ship because I had a captain's I had a US Coast Guard captain's license and was very versed in you know, I was always in the ocean and stuff growing up. Okay. 
So I, I started working there because, like, and sometimes people say, well, why did you continue a life of crime? Well, when you're a fugitive from justice, you can't just go get a job or buy a house and settle down because you don't know at what point in time you're going to have to move again. I mean, you, you don't have any stability at all. And it, I looked at things when I was growing up, look at, like, the mafia and stuff like this, like, wow, that's cool and, wow, that's interesting. And I want you to know the, the life of a person who's involved in organized crime, or at least the, the organized crime that I was involved in, is really a hell. You know, it's not it's not fun at all. There are high moments in it. I mean, there are moments that are that you're really fun and interesting, but the vast majority of the time you're very miserable, very empty. And uh, like I said, you can never put down roots. You can never have a normal life, normal family. You just can't. And so I did that for a while, and then a long series of events happened. We're kind of giving me a bridge diversion here. Right. But a long series of events happened, and actually I actually got into a fight with a guy who worked with me, who was supposed to be the security for me. And in that fist fight, he died. He, he, I killed him on accident. It, wow. wasn't, it, wasn't, it was a self-defense issue, but, but I didn't, certainly, certainly didn't mean to kill him. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't know what to do about it. Right. And so I called my boss, and my boss at the time came to see what, what was wrong with me. And I was covered, literally. I was floating in a boat, floating in a boat off the dock, and I was covered in blood. Being honest with you, and he says, "What happened? Are you okay? Did somebody shoot you?" And I'm like, "No. Uh, look, here's what happened." And so I lifted up a, a toss that I had thrown over the body, and he said, "Oh my God!" He, I, I said, I, "I said we have a problem." He said, "We don't have a problem. You have a problem." But I don't. I didn't say anything. And here's your money and his money. I paid both of you. And when you were both healthy and happy the last time I saw you, and you went and got any car and you left. Right. And so from that moment on, long story very short. From that moment on, they had a thumb on me because I killed one of the associates on accident. Mm, um, that makes from, sense. Yeah. And, so, and, that's, and when, when you're in that situation, like I'm in a floating in a boat, an illegal smuggling boat offshore in Panama. Uh, I was living in Costa Rica, but it was in, it, this happened in Panama. And you can't call the police. I mean, right. who, who's going to understand that situation? I mean, like, oh, self-defense, man. You're, you know, I'm already a fugitive. And, so you can't call the police because I can't stand up in an investigation. And so you have to take care of the body, deal with the body. And these are things I didn't know anything about. I mean, I'd never killed anybody in my life. Yeah. And so um, from that moment on, pressure was put on me by, by those who were in control of me. Over, over a long period of time, I ended up just taking hit contracts. And I, I killed somebody. You know, I felt like my life was over anyway. And why not just, and the money was really good. And, and I rationalized it in many ways. So, so that's really the steps down into hell. And we're talking a period of time from 2003 to 2006, three years of, of really bad decisions mm-hmm. to get from a normal, you know, middle class, good business owner existence down into deep organized crime foolishness, you know. Well, right, because, you know, really, you thought your life was over when you lost your kids and you were divorced and you were like, you know, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to just I'm just going to leave. I don't get any custody of my kids. Was that correct? That's exactly what yeah. that's what it was to me. I mean, it, it broke me. I, I don't even think that my ex-wife wanted that so much. I don't know what the judge was thinking. She didn't fought for that. But anyway, so that's what happened. It, it, my life was destroyed. And, and I thought there's nothing left for me here. And so I pulled a few strings, came up with a few hundred thousand dollars and just pulled the ripcord and left. Right. It was, you know, it was a terrible decision. Looking back on it, I think that if I had stuck it out, you know, I would probably be really in a, in a really great position right now. I'm 43 years old today. This happened to me when I was a kid. I was, you know, I got married way too young. I was in my early 20s when this happened. So, I mean, you know, 20 years 
ago <laughs> this mm-hmm. this occurred and and would have been something that was very easily to recover but when you're young and stupid and when you're bill um <laughs> you you tend to make decisions based on the short term, which is what I did. What I'd like everybody to know from this, and this is true, mm-hmm. when I was a little kid, I believed in the law of attraction. I'm actually the pastor of the church here in the prison where I am. I'm the chaplain of the yeah. of the prison That's where right. I'm an inmate as well. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. I'm, the, I'm also the gang, the gang, I mean, like the, the authorized by the state, the Panamanian state. I'm the gang mediator as well. Oh, wow. And and something happened to me, and this is something I haven't really talked about ever on any show before. I'm trying to give new content when I do interviews to make them continue to be interesting. And and one of the things that that happened to me in about 2014 is I read a book by Wayne Dyer called The Power of Intention. And and oddly enough, I just finished reading it again last Mm -hmm. night, but it it was a life-changing thing for me. I love Wayne Dyer. He's a fantastic. And Wayne said something in that book. Mm -hmm. That I wish had been, I wish I had been the one to, to pick it up, but mm-hmm. I, it's not mine. I use it all the time. It's not mine. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yes. What does that mean? How, however you think, that is how you're going to find it. I knew that you were going to be friendly to me, and I knew this was an interview I wanted to do, oh. and I know that it's going to be successful. So it will be. Those things, I will find it that way. But Absolutely. if I had thought she's going to be really fancy and we're going to have a hard time and this interview is not going to go anywhere, it wouldn't go very well. Right. And yeah. so how I think about things is how it, how it happens. And I preach that. I, I teach that. And Jesus Christ taught it as well. I mean, he said that if you don't believe, no reason to pray for anything if you don't believe you're going to get what you're praying for. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, that's the kind of thing that we talk about here in church and what I'm about. I, I was a terrible person. I became a terrible person. I didn't start out as a terrible person, but I became a terrible person because I allowed myself to go one step further every single time in every bad decision. So what am I doing now? The exact opposite every day. I'm reading a book right now by the Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. It's an old book, actually. He started it today. It's really interesting. Uh, the Art of Happiness. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting concept, actually, that, that one thing that I already learned from the book that I like and I'd share is that there's a real difference between pleasure and happiness. We confuse them. Mm-hmm. Like we think, I mean, this makes me feel good. It's going to make me happy, but that's not true, is right. it? I mean, cocaine makes you feel good, but it'll destroy your life. Right. So, so we have to look at, you know, like having an affair. And if you're in a stable relationship and you have an affair with somebody, that will destroy your marriage. It feels really good, you know, but it's going to destroy your marriage. And so we have to think about what we're, what every single decision we make based on whether or not it will make me happy, not whether it will bring me pleasure. Right. Something like going to the gym, working out, that's not. It's kind of fun, but I mean, like, there are days like leg day. It's a terrible day. It's not fun at all. But the results that you get out of it are great. Right. And yeah. so that's what we're, that's what, for instance, why is this important for a man who's a chaplain in a prison? Mm-hmm. The majority the kids I deal with, are the median age here is 23 years old. That's the median age. Wow. That's the average. So most people are actually younger than that. And so these kids that I deal with on a regular basis are kids who have low self-esteem. Why? Well, they were born into a drug-addicted family. They, they have no father uh, at all. Their mother is most likely a prostitute. Since they've been four or five years old, the only family they know is the gang, the street mm-hmm. gang that they belong to. I mean, since, since they've been walking on their own, they've been alone on the street. Right. So and they so, really never had a chance. Yeah. He thinks that he can't be anything else but that because right. that's the only thing that he knows. He has low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. What do we do? Well, we can show him that he's special and God loves him and, and that but he could be somebody better, you yes, know? Yes. He could be somebody different, you know? And, yes. But left alone, a 
child that comes from that environment is never going to be a doctor or a lawyer. He's just going to be another gangbanger. Right, and that's no. the reality of our situation here. Well, you know, and and Bill, I I really believe everyone is redeemable when it comes to souls and us, you know, returning to our normal state, because I think this is just we're all in meat suits and we're all just experiencing life. Um, That's just kind of the way I I feel it is that when you go back, you go and you talk to God or Jesus and whoever you believe in up there and they say, well, what did you do? What decisions did you make? What made you better? What made you worse? What did you learn? And when you do that kind of thing, and you're already doing that, you're already on that path. Yeah, you're stuck in prison for I don't know how many years you've already served. I think you said 12 years already. Yeah, 12 years. Yeah, yeah. So you have what another of? Well, in reality, I don't think I'll be in prison, but about another 10 years. You only do 66 percent of your time here. You'll do 10 years eligible for parole. And then on top of that, if you work like I do, they give you one day off for every two days that you work. So every week for me has 10 days in it. Oh, like nice. 10 days come off my sentence. I mean, so it's really good. You know, you have to have that motivation. You know what you just said? I'm going to be here for another 10 years, and I've been here for 12. I could go sit in the corner and use drugs. Right. Or I could do something to try to make up for the terrible things that I've done in my life. And I agree completely with what you said, that everybody's redeemable, but I didn't used to think that. Right. I know. But the funny yeah. thing is, I didn't, I didn't used to think that. I thought, you know, that um, I remember myself being free. As a professional killer, like thinking poorly of the gang kids, you know, like they should just take them all out and put them in a damn gas chamber, kill them, really? get them, you know, they're just garbage. And then God has such a sense of humor that he stuck me in a prison that are full of them. So, well, let's yeah. see what you think about them. And I didn't like them at first. I didn't enjoy them at all at first. And my life was very hard, but then when you begin to understand, yes. and, and that's the thing, isn't it? When we meet somebody new, we don't know them, and we judge them by what we know. That's a mistake. What looks like chaos on the outside is actually very ordered. Yes. This world in which they live, the gang world here, it's so violent. They, they, they walk around here inside the prison with firearms, inside the prison. Wow. The prison you know, they kill each other. The last week we had a killing here where three inmates were killed in a gun battle in prison. Wow. But even though it looks like complete chaos, there is an actual order to it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we learn as we go forward that we shouldn't judge anybody. Right. And I had to learn that the hard way. Well, you know what, Bill? We're all humans. We are all God's children, all of us. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what sex you are. I don't care where you came from. If you're poor, if you're rich, if you're a man or you're a woman, it doesn't matter. We're all the same. And I didn't, I wasn't even planning on going this direction during our interview. I was going to ask you about other things, but you know, you've done so many podcasts. You probably have told your story so many different ways, but I love that we're taking this tack because I love the fact that you are understanding that God doesn't work the way that a lot of the churches say that he works, that, oh my gosh, you do something bad and you don't do this and you didn't do that. You're going to hell. And it's just, it, God doesn't work that way. No, he doesn't work that way. And I think that, for instance, there's a Muslim guy, right? And then there's a Christian guy and there's a, there's a Jewish guy. Like all of us are living what we think is how God represents himself to us. Sure. But if you look at the, the overall qualities of all three of those religions, they say the same thing. Love each other. Yes. And people say, oh, but the Muslims are violent. Well, for about 800 years, the Christians were violent. So, so I mean, it, it, so that swings back and forth, and that's politics in, in reality. It has nothing to do with religion at all. Right. And I think that the, the underlying truths of religion, Jesus Christ only ever gave one commandment, and that was that we should love each other. Mm-hmm. 
you know? Yeah. And then he said, the things that you should do to get into heaven were to, to love God above everything else and love your neighbor as yourself. We don't do this. No. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. It, we should be doing it. We don't. No, we don't. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, in my mind, and how I look at it, the Muslims are right. The Catholics are right. The Christians are We're all, it's right for what your perceptive is. That is that is how you view it. And, you know, you have a right to do that. And is that, if that's how you represent it, then by golly, do it that way. But that doesn't mean your way is the right way or their way is the wrong way. It's just right for you. And that is absolutely fine. That is absolutely fine. People just get so upset about if you don't believe the way I do and you don't, I, I interview people that leave like evangelical churches or Jehovah Witness or whatever it is because they were so indoctrinated and did not think that anybody else's way was right. And I believe that we are all God. We are all sons and daughters of God. And when we go back, we will all be together again. I think that's a very reasonable way yeah. to perceive that. Again, I go back to the whole, I, I'm really a fan of the law of attraction. Sure. And, and that states that, not, even, not a fan of it, I mean, it's a law. When we say it's the law of attraction, it's because that's how it is. Mm-hmm. If you're a Muslim and you believe in your God, in Allah, and you're going to find all the answers to lead you in that direction. Sure. Because you believe it. It's true. And, and it's, not, it's not a lie. It is true. And if you're a Catholic and you believe you're going to go take confession, and you're going to, you know, pray the rosary mm-hmm. and, and take the sacraments, you're going to find that that works because it's true. Right. And, and those truths become truth because you believe them. And so, like, and then you get another guy who, I don't know, like some chick that's a wicked girl or something. That works for her. Why does it work for her? Because she believes it. It's, it's about faith. Yes. And what, what is your faith? You believe. Faith, also, as we describe, and I talk about this in, in church a lot, faith is action. It's not words or what you think. Faith is action taken based on a belief. If you think that you're, I, mean, I know that I'm getting out of prison. I know that I'm going to rebuild my life. I know that I'm going to have a family again. I know that I'm going to put all these things together. People, well, you don't deserve that. Or, hey, that's your opinion, and your opinion right. doesn't matter to me. And, right. and so, I mean, you know, and I'm not saying you, but I mean, like another person who would criticize me. Yes, I made many mistakes, but those are in the past. I'm driving a boat, and I can't look Absolutely. back because I run the boat up on the rocks. I don't want to run up on, up on the rocks. I want to. I want to go where I'm trying to get going. So, well, I have faith that those things are going to happen, and I am acting in a way in which believes that I'm taking decisions based on that the reality of that future. Those decisions and that belief will generate that reality. I, I'm, I'm doing podcasts from inside a cell right now in prison. That's insane. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. In a third world jungle prison, and I do one or, one or two a week. And so the thing about it is, who says you can't do something, you know? Absolutely. I was very overweight when I put in prison. When I got put in prison, I was very overweight. I ain't overweight no more. I, I look good. Yeah. I look good because I decided I was going to. Yeah. Well, you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, yeah. and so you, you, you just have to go and get it. We have to go and get it. We have to believe and take Absolutely. decisions based on faith. Well, and you know, that's that's a good point. But let me ask you something else that I really wanted to ask, because I'd love to talk to you just real quick about everyday prison life. What is it like? What's the food like? What happens? I know you're kind of in charge of like 22 men. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Okay. I'm in a, I'm in a difficult prison, um, mm-hmm. even for Panama. All prisons in Panama are difficult, but I'm in an especially difficult prison. Mm-hmm. And, and to answer your question, first, I'm going to have to give you just a little bit of background. Right. I, for nine years, I was in a really minimum security prison. I bribed my way into that prison. That's the only way you can get there is by paying. And there inside that prison, I had like everything set up. I lived much better than most people listening to this podcast. Oh, wow. I had, yeah, really. I mean, I had, I ate food from outside. I had a chef that brought my food in every day. 
I mean, it's like really hilarious, really, how I lived. It was so good. Um, I had, you know, my girlfriend. I could see my girlfriend and my other girlfriend also in a sexual way a couple times a couple times a week. Wow. Uh, and so, I mean, like, I was living really well. But what happened to me was a funny thing. God moves in mysterious ways. One day I sat on a bench, and I was watching this kid having to pick up human shit because he didn't have any money and he wasn't one of the one of us and the guards were forcing him to do things that they were like really demeaning and i'd seen it a million times before but i don't know why but that day it bothered me and, and it bothered me a lot and so i started talking to the guys about it and everybody everybody including the guards who are my friends are telling me shut up you can't fix the family system it's broken blah, blah blah well i ended up doing a long story short i ended up doing an interview with a lady from the daily mirror yes uh in, in the united kingdom trying to bring attention of the United Nations to what's going on in Panama's prison system. Mm. And what she did, instead of doing the interview about the human rights, she made the interview about me. Oh. And, and the Panamanian government came down on me like a ton of bricks and sent me to this place where I am now. This place where I am now is called Sector C. Mm. Sector C is a punishment area. And if you're sent, there's 157 of us that live here. Okay. And if you get sent to Sector C, it's loosely called a Panamanian death sentence. Oh. Why is it called that? Because... The government puts pressure on you in various ways, which we'll discuss right now. They put pressure on you in an illegal manner to make you kill yourself or that someone else will kill you or that you will die from natural causes in a short period of time. One of those three things. Yeah, it's a mad situation. The longest person who survived in this environment is a friend of mine. He's still here, and he's been here for six years. I'm the second longest, and I've been here for three years and two months. So this place where I am... How does that work? You come, you show up here. Depending on how much the government hates you, the following thing could happen to you. They could send you to the what we call the carniceria, the slaughterhouse. They could send you to the slaughterhouse. And this is a cell block that has 11 guys in it. And it's a huge cell block. It's made for 25, but it only has 11. Why? These are 11 most violent and terrible monsters that you could dream up out of a... I mean, it's like, it's like a... It should be a movie or something. I mean, like, these are... You know, like literally just there's one that, that's a Satanist that screams crazy things day and night. And mm. I mean, they're just crazy. And so they put you in there so that those guys will kill you. It's very effective as well. And one of them or all of them will kill you. Wow. So that's one thing they can do. Another thing that they can do uh, or have done in the past, they're not doing it now, thank God. But one thing they, they had done in the past is restrict somebody from being able to see or speak to their family or anybody else, leaving you locked in 24-7 for a long period of time. Mm. Another thing is the food here is literally, no, I'm not exaggerating, literally poison. You ask me about my daily life. I'm going to give it to you. Okay. Here, in a Panamanian prison, they don't provide you with clothing. They don't provide you with toothpaste. They don't provide you with toilet paper. They don't provide you with health care of any kind. That There is no health care. If you have an appendix rupture, if you have a stroke, if you have a heart attack, the solution is your death. You oh, die. No. That's the solution. And that's for everybody, including me. Um, I had a kidney stone. I don't know if you know anything about kidney stones. I didn't know anything about kidney stones, but I sure as hell know about them now. Okay. I I had a kidney stone in May of 2021, mm. last year. And I lay on the floor in my own sweat for seven days screaming because not even an aspirin, you know, not even an aspirin. you got to figure it out yourself. The humorous thing about the kidney stone is when it passed, I was like looking for it because I figured out what it was yeah. by looking on the internet. And so when it finally passed, it was this little bitty thing the size of the head of a pen. 
And I thought to myself, how in the name of God can something so small yeah. and insignificant looking cause so much pain? Right. I mean, they said that it's the closest thing a man can experience to childbirth. I did it for seven days and seven months. Anyway, oh my God. that's just an example of the excellent health care that they offer here in health. Oh. Um, anyway, this this place, how do you get out of sector? Well, my, my daily my daily routine, you ask me and I haven't yes. answered your question. Mm-hmm. I'll answer it now. Okay. I get up about 5 o'clock in the morning to pray and I meditate every day. Mm-hmm. About 6 o'clock, I go through and check all my messages and make sure it's my, my communication for the morning. And then at 7 o'clock, my hatch is popped because I work. My hatch is popped. My door is open. Uh, when I, I work, I'm out all day. I'm out until 5 o'clock. I'm the only one in the whole, in the 157 men who is loose, really? you know, all day inside the, inside and outside the cell block. It wasn't always that way. I went two years just like being like everybody else. And it, when I say like everybody else, I mean that they get one and a half hour out of their cell every day, and then they spend 22 hours and 30 minutes a day locked in. Um, wow. At 8.30, a breakfast ration that consists of one hot dog bun and one boiled egg. That is your breakfast. Mm. And also, um, like some sort of drink, like a creamed, like sweet cream corn. It's actually not bad if you want the truth to get used to it. It's not that bad. But yeah. very little food. Mm-hmm. Then my day runs along. Uh, I give out the food. That's my job. Part of my job is well. I give out the food and then take up the trays to send them back to the kitchen. Mm-hmm. The kitchen run by, not run by prisoners. It's run by uh, people from the outside. Okay. Here, this is supposed to, this is found on version, supposed to live a supermax prison. We have a television, we do have a television, everybody's really interested right now watching the World Cup. I'm pulling for England and myself, but I, I've never played soccer in my life, but, yeah. but you get, you, you know, whatever, whatever passes the time here. So, um, I work out, I usually work out in the morning. Mm. I work out about, before breakfast comes about 7.30 to 8.30, I work out and then grab a quick shower and give out breakfast. And then our church services on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays and Sundays at mm-hmm. 10 o'clock in the morning. So I preach from 10 to 11. Wow. We have an actual church service. It's not just me preaching, but we have an actual church service mm. that attend the 22 members of our church. This cell block is the church here. But then lunchtime comes, give out lunch, take lunch back. Supper time comes, give out the supper, take the supper time back, and everybody's locked in at 5.30. During the day, I write the letters for everybody, the, the formal requests, hey, if you want to bring something in. Here, they don't give you toilet paper and that stuff, you, you've got to buy it from the outside. And the food that they give you is inedible. Lunch today was a coffee cup of white rice and some part of a chicken. Like, I don't even know what parts they are. They bring parts of a chicken I didn't know exist. Maybe they ain't a chicken. Who knows what it is? But anyway, it's a chicken. But I mean, like, one little tiny piece, when I say little tiny piece, of, like the size of the meaty part of your thumb. That's how much the food wow. comes. Anyway, so you can't live on it. I mean, like, no. that's the thing. You, you, they don't give you enough food to live on. So you have to bring in food from the outside. Right. They allow you to bring in a package once every month. Uh, in that package, you have to bring in everything you're going to eat for a month mm. for 30 days. Okay. And so I just bought mine. Actually, my, my girlfriend's making it right. I'm like, putting it all together right now. Mine costs me about $330, something like that, once a month. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, you have to come up with something to eat, right? Right. So you have to join a gang. You're required to. The only way you can survive, you don't have any money. Right. Because somebody has to take care of you. I'm blessed because I, I wrote a book. Also, I, you guys, I'm going to prostitute my book. Forgive me. Long Live the King Wild Bill. You can find it on Amazon. Go and check that out yes. as well. And I also send the links to Leslie. should be so kind of to post them. Yeah. Um, and I, I encourage you guys, please, guys, come and, and interact with me. I love to talk. You know, I, I don't turn anybody down. I love to talk to you. I counsel people as well. I counsel a lot of people on the outside. And a lot of people sometimes say to me, 
I feel bad telling you my problems because you have problems bigger than mine. And I say the same thing. Everybody's problems are relative to their life. And nobody's problems are bigger than anybody else's. And I'll tell you why. Because I read a, I read a story about how at the same time, during the same time period, Jeff Bezos and Bill oh. Gates were both getting divorced from their respective spouses. Mm-hmm. They were getting divorced from their respective wives at the same time. And both were really, like, depressed. Mm-hmm. And these are the two richest men in the world, or two of the most, two of the top five richest right. men in the world, and they're both depressed. Now, at the snap of their fingers, they can have anything. I want a brand new helicopter, right there it is. I want a, you know, I want a luxury yacht, right there it is. Boom! At the snap of their fingers, these guys are depressed. They got problems. I got problems. You got problems. We all got problems. And there's never going to be a time in your life when you don't have problems. And if you think that some sort of financial decision or a new job, or a new or a move to a new place is going to fix all your problems. You're just going to have different problems. You know, right. Different levels bring different problems. And so it's how we face those problems yes. that matter. And, and, and if we're happy today. So. Yeah, you could be like the richest person in the world and be the most depressed person in the world. So really your perspective and a maturity of looking at life in a whole different way as opposed to, I need this, I have to have that, I need to keep up with them, I, you know, all of those things. And when you get to the age I am, I'm in my 50s now, and when you get to my age, you know, it's so much more important. To me, I feel successful with my marriage of 26 years. I'm so in love with my husband still to this day. But I also, you know, have to say... Our level of success is also gauged on the fact that my 22-year-old daughter and my 25-year-old son and daughter-in-law and their child want to spend time with us and do spend time with us. That is so important to us. That's right. It's it's extremely important. It's how much effort you put into it. Let me ask you something else, though, Bill. What made you the one that they chose to do all the work around the cell block? I mean, why were you the one chosen? I'll give you a secret about life. This is a secret I learned a long time ago. You have to make yourself indispensable. For instance, I worked once in the other prison. I ended up working in the office and and actually ran that prison, the prison I was in before. And the way I did it was this. I started working in the office cleaning uh, a normal job, like the sweeping. Mm -hmm. And then there was some chick that didn't like work. She didn't like work, so I started doing her filing, you know, putting the files away. Then that became my job. Then I started administrating the sports program for the custodians. The custodians is a a term they use for guards here, for the guards. I started administrating the sports program. So then I became the sports team administrator. Oh, wow. And and that became my job. And so if you want to excel in life, what you do is you do more than everybody else until they can't live without you. Yeah. And then you're running the show. And that's exactly what happened here. It took me, I'm in hell. But I made a life in hell. This is real hell. My other prison was a joke. That was a joke. I mean, I, I, you know, I want McDonald's today. Tomorrow I want, you know, I want Fridays. There's a Fridays in, in Davida in Panama where the other prison was. I'm eating Friday. I ate whatever I wanted to eat. I, I saw the girls I wanted to see. I did whatever I wanted to do. So that's not really, it wasn't really like prison. But where I am now is a real challenge. It's a challenge. Right. And so what I did is I started, you know, Started picking up the slang, doing things that, that needed to be done, and the cops are like, "Oh, that makes our life easier." So then that becomes your responsibility. And as you gain the responsibility, you also gain a privilege. Wow! Until you're in a position like I'm in a position right now. It's not that they, they couldn't live without me. They certainly could live without me. That's not, there's no there's no doubt about that. But they're lazy, and I'm not lazy, and yeah. they would much rather not have to do anything. Yeah, let me ask you this. So when it's your time, let's say you got a, you've got another nine, ten years. Okay, let's just say that. How do you think, since you will have been in prison 19, 20 years, 
how do you think you'll do on the outside world? I, I think on Justin's podcast, you said you haven't seen the sun in three years. I haven't seen the ray of sun in three years and two months and a few days. Oh. One thing I've learned in prison is that the human being is adaptable almost instantly to any environment at all, if you, if you choose to be. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I can survive, like, this extreme situation here, being outside will be a cakewalk. And, like, and people say, well, won't you revert to a life of crime? The easiest thing for me to do, and that I did for a long period of time, was to be involved in organized crime in prison. Yeah. First three years I was in prison. That's what I, the first thing I did was organize the, the gangs into territories when I came to prison. That was right. the very first thing that I did. I'm being honest. And I, I spent the first, like, four years of my life in prison living off the drug trade and living well. Mm-hmm. Then my conscience began to bother me, and I got out of that little by little until God literally, like, it's not my destiny to be a criminal. Right. And, and I know that now. It's not, that's not what I was put on earth to be. Nobody was put on earth to be a damn criminal. Nobody. Mm-hmm. And also, another thing I'd like to say to you that's out there, because there are, there are people who listen to True Crime Podcasts who idolize people like me. I want you to understand something, that this life is not good. Yeah. There's no criminal life. It is perks to it. But this life is not good. And what you spend your time thinking about is what will happen to you. Yes. So think about something good. You know? No, you're absolutely right. And I love that you have that that thought because, you know, a lot of people that, that Shawshank Redemption kind of thing where they're like, I don't know if I can make it on the outside. You know, I've been in here so long. I don't know any other life. But that's a perspective you have to change if and when you do get out early. And I don't know if you can come back to the United States. I don't know how all that works. Would you stay in the area? Where would you go? Because I've been here so long mm-hmm. in the third world that I like I talk to my mother and I talk to some girls I know and some friends in the United States on a regular basis and like I'm just amazed at the changes, social changes, technology. I mean, like I, I'm a, I have a limited uh, you know knowledge of those things being here where I am because I'm so far removed and it's just like I know that I can't go home because I don't have a time machine. Mm. So going home isn't an option. I have nostalgia, and, and nostalgia is another thing. This is an interesting concept. My own thought about nostalgia. Nostalgia is a lie mm. because we think, oh, it was so good before, and, and things were so perfect, but why didn't we think that when we were living it? That's bullshit. And yep. so I think that we have to be malleable. We have to be ready to change and accept. And, like, there, there's so many changes in the social structure of what goes on in the United States now that I don't particularly feel comfortable with, but... Then I have to accept them because that's the new norm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, I know, I know. And guys, he's on a limited amount of time, so I'm just going to say this: his book, you've got to look it up, and it's out now. It's called "Long Live the King, Wild Bill." And guys, I'm going to get it. I'm going to support him, and he gets a little uh, kickback for that. So, guys, look him up. I'm going to put all of his information on my show notes. Um, I could talk to him like all day, but I'm just we just don't have the time because he is talking to me from prison. So, uh, Bill, would you like to say anything else to my listeners? I want to tell you guys that I love you very much, and each and every one of you, even though I don't know you, there's all kinds of good things about you, and I want to get to know you. So I want you guys to come and follow me on Instagram, at Holiness Bill, and then on Facebook, I'm in, I have a Facebook group called Friends of Brother Bill. You can find me at either one of those two places. I'm looking for you guys, so you guys come and interact with me and say, hey, um, if you've got a problem, I want to know about it. And I give you, I give you Wild Bill solution. It may not be the correct one, but I'll give you Wild <laughs> Bill solution to your problem. <laughs> and uh, and really, and we have fun. And and that's another thing. Those those groups are not at all serious. We have a lot of fun in them. And uh, and really, just looking forward to it. And Leslie, thank you for having me on the show. God bless you, and I hope you have a good evening.
Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.